This is the Rodeo Adventure Labs podcast, episode nine. I'm joined by Stephen. And today we wanted to uh, preface a little bit uh, about our next guest. Uh, I'm particularly excited because uh, I think our next guest predates what Strava now calls a local legend. Um, Strava kind of came out with this feature, but to me, this is the real Denver local legend. And I'm referring to Tom Miller. Yeah. He is the local legend. And as an aside, local legends are the only bright spot I've had in 2020. All of the local legends that I've heard. All right, back to Tom. Yeah. No, so, I mean, you know, to, to expand on that, uh, why why is Tom a local legend? I don't mean, I don't think I need to really justify this, but for the, f- the few that don't know Tom, um, if you're outside of Denver, uh, this guy rides bikes uh, a lot in a year. Uh, I actually, I don't want to geek out over like Strava numbers and all that, but I was just kind of curious cause I know Tom rides a lot. So I pulled the last, uh, seven years of data on Strava. Wow. Uh, just quick average, you know, it's, we're okay. not, not going to do any kind of crazy science that I do in my, my day job. But, um, on, for the last seven years, he's averaged 10,800 miles, um, wow. which that's a big number. Yeah. I think that's like 30 or 40 trips around the world. No, I'm just kidding. I made that up. Uh, that's 720,000 school buses lined up to the moon and back. Yeah. No, that's also not true. I don't know. I mean, to break it down, though, um, not in school buses, that's that's about uh, about 200 miles a week, give or take. And so I, I just I find it impressive just that because I've, I've never hit 10,000 miles in a year um, and I really like bikes. But I think beyond that, too, it's it's not just the sheer volume, but it's it's the kinds of rides that Tom does. Um, and so he's, he's been part of RMCC and that is, um, a local bike club that has been putting on these mega endurance events. And so it's not just like Tom rides over 10,000 miles a year. He's doing 200 mile days. Um, these, these yeah, big and events. Not once, but like <laughs> you just go back and you look like, Oh, what's everybody doing today? He's does them multiple times a year. Like, I don't know, is it three or six or, or I don't know. We will know when we talk to Tom, but it's a lot of them. I feel bad because like, how do you even like when you do them that often, you're like, people just get used to you doing them. Like it's no big thing, but it's a big thing. Like, yeah, I see them and I I can count on one hand the number of 200 mile rides I've done in my life. And to do many, that many in a year, year after year after year is pretty, pretty bonkers. It's, it's incredible. So, and so then he also he eviscerates local group rides uh, regularly uh, and, uh, and, and has no ego and is very friendly. I mean, I'm sure everyone has some ego, but like it just doesn't, doesn't it's not there as part of the conversation. It's just like you, you can tell when someone loves something and when someone's doing it because they need like all of that validation and accolade. And I, I'm picking up a lot of love, so... It's fun, fun to talk to people who love bikes. Yeah. 
Tom Tom genuinely likes bikes, and you'll see him at like every group ride. And you can say hey in the morning at six a.m. and and he's right there and ready to go. And and then afterwards too, usually like on the on the weekend rides, like he'll come grab a coffee with you, um, and you get to actually hang out off the bike. And and he's just a super genuine guy. So I thought it you know it'd be fun to talk to Tom. And and he's got a good uh, story about his recent uh, we'll call it the scare, um, which was really caught everybody's attention because he's basically invincible and then he had this very sort of poignant life event that put everyone on notice that gosh we're not invincible we all think we're invincible because we're like oh we do big ultra whatever no like we need to all keep an eye on our our bodies and listen and and, uh take every day as a gift so or sometimes have a really good friend help you listen yeah yeah or ride with a medical professional at all times (laughs) So that's another really good way to, to keep going. Uh, yeah. All right. So, Tom. Tom, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I was enjoying listening to all of this. It's yeah. very, go on. Very Just flattering. On. Just keep, yeah, keep going. I'll sit here quietly <laughs> and enjoy. We're going to do a 45-minute intro <laughs> with a five-minute interview. I'll, I'm enjoying the truths, and I'm enjoying some of the untruths. I'm enjoying the whole thing. Most, yeah. of, most of all of it, I guess, was true. Yeah. Wait, well, what wasn't true? <laughs> yeah, what's... That's a good question. I, I know he's an egomaniac. He's an egomaniac. <laughs> I'm an egomaniac. He's a that's, total that's jerk. the part that's not true. <laughs> we do, what is it like the the three lies and the one truth? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the, the number of school buses I ride in a year. I yeah. think that might have been a little bit off. I'm not sure. That's fair. I don't know. Uh, no, Barry, uh, oh, uh, a longtime rodeo, um, said that we need to do better intros. So we're listening, Barry. You, <laughs> wherever you are on some road trip in your camper van, we heard your feedback and that we need to introduce people better. So that was that was our first great introduction. I hope um, we've now overintroduced. <laughs> we don't know how to stop. <laughs> yeah, and, and just just for the record, I I I, I mean, this is going to sound. I guess it sounds like I have an ego when I say this, but I really love the fact that you introduce me as not having an ego because I've, I've actively tried to kind of crush that over the year. And, and, and I've had help in that respect from a lot of people that I've ridden with, but, but to me, it's, it's not, you know, it's not a very helpful or um, appealing thing, you know, I think to, to walk around with a gigantic ego. And so it's nice. All the, all the best writers that I like are very humble people. And um, that's a fun quality when you can turn the cranks and you don't need all that. That's the best. Yeah. Uh, and do you find, I, I, I tend to find that the fastest guys, I mean, I'm not speaking for myself, but the fastest guys tend to be the nicest in many, in many cases, not in every respect, but in many cases, you know? I've known a lot of really friendly fast bike riders. Uh, it's most of the people that we tend to ride with, especially in those group settings, uh, which I haven't done recently, but like when we were doing more of that, you would definitely get uh, the people who, who were at the front we're definitely having a lot of fun and friendly about it. There was no doubt about whether or not they intended to be at the front and winning per se, but most of them were really friendly and fun about it. Uh, this is a recreational sport. None of us are professionals. Um, even though sometimes we, we, we start to get carried away, but those are the people I don't want to ride with. Uh, like, don't forget who we are, or what we're doing. Uh, and the minute it's too serious, it's just like, why? So yeah, I think I think I mostly agree. I can't actually think of any fast jerks that I am personally in in, the, in that circle. Uh, probably because they don't stay in the circle. If they no, have that's the, fair. If the wrong vibes. 
Um, but yeah, like even just like you want the fast people to, uh, to be talkative at the start of the ride and to say hi to the new, new person instead of like that quiet, I'm going to kill you all vibe. Um, so the new person feels like they're allowed to be there and the top dog said hi and didn't need to, you know, be alpha about anything. So really strong people being friendly is like a double whammy of radness. And it's also, you know, it can be a little bit frustrating because there's, you know, you don't have that thing that you can latch on to to hate about them, you know, because they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're fast and also great people. And it's just like, okay, this is, I'm at a loss. So yeah. I don't know what to say here. You know? I want to hold a grudge. <laughs> uh, I don't, Nick, I mean, like, I think the, 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 high, the high point of this is, you know, like, talk, let's talk about these long rides, but then like, what happened recently also is is those are the two things that are really stand out to me. Um, what are these rides that you do, uh, especially the RMCC rides? Like we we all we all go out and do ride like twenty or forty miles together, but then there's these days. Like, tell us about that. What are they? Sure, sure. So the um, RMCC stands for Rocky Mountain Cycle Club, and they historically have had distance rides and by distance i mean you know rides like um of 200 miles or so as unofficial rides and what these rides were were basically training rides for people that were doing paris breast paris and so some local colorado riders developed a few of them some of them have you know became kind of famous one of them was denver to aspen and one of them was called the Death Ride in the San Juans. And one of them was the Grand Loop that went over Trail Ridge Road. It started in Golden and went over to Estes Park. And they were really informal, you know, un- unsupported rides that were just training mechanisms for people that were doing uh, PBP. <clears throat> Which is in itself what? Uh, 1200K, right? It's, um, yeah, and so it's the, I'm not as familiar with PVP as most people are, but it's Paris, Brest, Paris, 1200K, you know. Um, so you ride to Paris, from Paris to Brest, Brest then and back. back to Paris. Yeah. Nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. And there's different categories you can enter in, so it can be very much a race, you know, and it can be kind of a, maybe a dial back experience if you want that too. But it's, it happens, um, I want to say every four years, if I'm not mistaken, but, you know, and it's something that people train for. And it's, in many cases, it's a, you know, a life aspiration. There's people that do it over and over, but there's also people that train for this for a decade and then go do it. Wow. And this is their big, you know, this is their big thing. And so some Colorado riders back in the nineties started doing these 200 mile rides as a, as training work for PBP. And over the years, you know, attendance kind of um, ebbed and flowed. And there was actually a time back in the 90s when Denver Aspen itself was kind of like a mini triple bypass. It was like there was a lot of riders that would do it. Mm. But then it kind of waned. And I think in the early you know, 2000s, there might have only been a handful of people that were doing, doing the rides. And so around about 2009... A rider named Mark Lowe, who I know y'all know, um, and who's a, a great friend of mine for a long time, 
decided to kind of make the rides a little bit more formal, if you will. And he noticed that there was a there was a Triple Crown series in California that was called the Triple Crown, and there were, you know, I don't know if it was three or five, but there were 200-mile rides. And he wanted to have a similar series in Colorado and call it the Triple Crown. And so in 2009, he started the Triple Crown using those training rides from Paris Press Paris. Um, and Death Ride, Denver to Aspen, and the Grand Loop were the kind of the three at first. Now, all of them, just to give you some general kind of metrics, you know, anywhere from 180 to 230 miles and from 12,000 to 22,000 feet in elevation, depending on the ride, and minimally supported. And what that means is there was typically a guy in a pickup truck, you know, and he would stop. His name was Charlie Henderson. He was a longtime, you know, RMCC guy. And you would put your gear in his pickup truck, and he would stop three times. Mm-hmm. And so you could just kind of swap out bottles or just ditch a jacket or something like that. And folks would come out and do the events. And it was never really super, you know, it wasn't crazy popular. I mean, there were years when, you know, average attendance might have been, I don't know, like 15 riders or 12 riders. So very kind of underground. I wonder why that could possibly be. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it more popular. I, I guess like what strikes me is like, Tom, what was your first RMCC event and like, what prompted you to do it? Like what clicked of like, I like these 180 to 230 mile rides. That's like that's a really for me. interesting question because, okay. So to back up just a little bit. So I came to cycling kind of late, you know, I was in, so I'm 52 now. I started cycling probably when I was 38 or something or 37. And I got involved in my first triple crown almost as a, dare or as a lark i mean it it was it was the week before one of the events and somebody that i knew was doing one and they called me up and i think it was just to let me know that they were doing it and it was denver to aspen and then at the end of the conversation they said well you know do you want to come and and try it and like you know abandoning abandoning all common sense i said yes and (laughs) and and just so it was really i had like three days to prepare and i I, I did my first one. And that was like, I want to just continue to do this. I, yeah. I, I guess the better question is, why did you do it again? <laughs> I've, I've asked myself that question many times, and sometimes I don't know the answer. The I guess when I did it the first time, I was amazed that I that I finished and that, that I didn't actually die you know, <laughs> or end up on the side of the road, you know, for, you know, hours and hours or something. And but But in reality, I... I think that I did better than I thought I was going to do. And, and it wasn't in perspective to anybody else's performance. It was in, in, in reference to how I, how, I, how I had expected to do. And, and it was, um, I don't know, I, I, I think that there's a lot of things, you know, that to be good at in different types of cycling events. And in endurance events, you know, if you're stubborn, then then you, you can do pretty well. And evidently, I have a stubborn streak because I, you know, I can tend to kind of hang in there and, and it catered to maybe some of the strengths that I had, you know. But, um, but I guess, you know, more so, it was a spectacularly just a beautiful day. And it was a, a, a the sensation was something that I didn't, 
I hadn't felt before because they were, you know, really high highs and really low lows. And, and at the end of it, I had a sense of accomplishment that I, I don't know if I had sensed that before, you know, and, and that kind of stuck with me for a while. And so I was like, wow, wait a minute, you know, that really pushed me to my limits and it gave me an opportunity to kind of experience something that I wouldn't have experienced otherwise. And, and you know, I tell a lot of people that the draw to the triple crowns for me, and it sounds like a, um, it sounds like a slogan, but, but you're, you're doing this extraordinary thing with these extraordinary people, you know, and that can't help but like rub off on you, you know, just to be in that environment. And, and so, yeah, so I signed up for the other two and then I guess the rest is history after that, you know. Have you just done them nonstop? So pretty much. Um, I, so I started in 2011 and I've done them consecutively for 10 years and there's really, that's an interesting point, too, because, you know, like, I I don't hold myself above anybody in respect to anything performance-wise or anything like that, you know, and but but I will say that, like, most people kind of have the sense to get in and get out, you know, they'll, they'll do it for a couple of years, and they'll be like, okay, thank you, that was a great experience, yeah. and for some reason, I just kind of, I, I stayed in there, you know, well, and, and there were years in there where I didn't quite know why I was in it, I mean, make no mistake, you yeah. know, after a while, when you're approaching the 10-year mark, you're kind of like, okay, I guess I'm going for 10 years now, but... In year six and seven, you're kind of like, wait a minute, what am I doing? You know? Well, you're stubborn, right? <laughs> <laughs> every every major like endurance thing I've done on a bike, when I finish, I'm like, I'm never doing that again. Like people will be like, see you next year. And I'm like, no, you won't. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't want to do this again. This is just like the hardest, most right. horrible. And sometimes I've gone back and done things again, but a lot of times I don't go back after right. I've had that experience once and. I love all of those memories, but like it's definitely unique to just keep going at something. I think if I know how bad it's going to be, it's harder to do it again. So like that shock of doing something the first time is like a self ambush. Uh, and like, oof, boy, that was rough. At least I don't have to do it again. Um, so, but you just keep going. Yeah, that's that's so accurate. I th- and I think it's important to kind of audit, you know, why you're doing them and and what what you're getting out of it, and maybe more importantly if you're having fun, you know, yeah, and, yeah. I mean, cause I think, I do think you can kind of get into a rut of, of doing things and maybe you're doing them just to do them and all those types of things. And also, you know, you mentioned Strava earlier. And so it, it's been an interesting, um, dynamic for me because when I was first doing the events, I wasn't on Strava. And so really there were probably five or six people in the world that knew that I was out there doing the events. Now yeah. I, I wasn't, so I had no kind of audience, let's say. And then after a while, you know, getting on Strava, you get people giving you accolades, which is wonderful. And I really appreciate that, but it, it can't be why I'm doing that. Like I, I, I don't want to do them for that. Um, at least me personally. Now if it, there, if, there probably are people that do them for that, which is fine. But um, I would never do that. Yeah. Never. <laughs> I would not. Like, I don't care what anyone thinks. <clears throat> yeah. 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 That is interesting because I've seen some of them when they pop up and there's like 
a dog pile of like love. They're like, Tom, you're an animal, you know, yeah. and just like, the, and I read through and I'm like, what would it be like to be Tom? <laughs> oh, good God. <laughs> he is an animal. That level oh. of fame. You know, yeah. the, the, there's a lot of, there's, you know, I'm in the engine room, right? You know, so I see myself like anybody at their lowest points, you know, yeah. and so I'm going like, okay, there's a lot that y'all don't know. I mean, if you knew the whole picture, you know. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I'll take it. I mean, I'm happy to uh, yeah to be able to share what I do, and I'm happy people, you know. Um, well, it's well earned. It's well thank earned. You. Like yeah. it's not. It's not a good job for getting out of bed, Tom. <laughs> you know, those congratulations. Here's a medal. It's like you got out of bed at two a.m. and you probably didn't go back to bed until two a.m. Yeah. yeah, and you I, probably got caught in a blizzard. You know, you mentioned an interesting thing that I wanted to comment on, and it was the it was how you feel at the end of the event. And the, um, I don't know if you're familiar, I think his name is Peter Atia. He's been on Joe Rogan. He's an exercise physiologist and he talks, he's an endurance swimmer. And he talks a lot about the difference between um, acceleration and velocity. And, and hold, I'll get to where I'm going in a minute, hold tight. But what he says is, you know, as an endurance swimmer, you know, so he swims ocean channels and things like that, right? And he says that, you know, I can take you and I can put you in a plane, you know, just miraculously right now that's going 500 miles an hour and you won't notice, you know, you, mm. you won't sense anything. But when the plane's taking off and it's landing, you're, you're going to sense that. And so what you're sensing is change. You're sensing, you know, um, acceleration versus velocity. And that can, that can hold true in a lot of different circumstances. But what's interesting to me, what resonated with me about what he said is that at the end of an endurance event, I think it's so cathartic because, you know, you thought you were going to die, you know, seven or eight hours ago, or you didn't, yeah. you know, you thought you didn't think this moment was possible. And then all of a sudden you finish and, and there's, there's this elation and, and, and relief and oh, exhale. And, and that sensation is really hard to quantify for like, if you haven't done it or experienced and, and it's, it's addictive, I think, Yeah, you know, I, I have a, bad habit of getting emotional at the end of uh some of the things that i do uh we're like i'll tear up uh and i've tried to figure out like what is that it's just a bike ride but i think the the duration of the time that you have to deny what you're feeling and stuff it back and just like doesn't matter if you're hurting doesn't matter if you're over it doesn't matter if you want to be home or be in your bed or on your couch or any you miss people whatever all these things that you just stuff 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 you're not allowed to feel any of that otherwise you wouldn't make it and then you get to the end and you're like finally i can just let myself kind of like come to grips with how hard it was to do what I just did. And then it just hits me like a ton of bricks. And I'm like, uh, I'm, a, I'm a little baby now. Just about, you know, so uh, I like that. That's perspective. It, it really is. And it, it, I've, I can relate to that so much because I've, I've had those em emotional moments too, you know? And, and as, as both of you know, because I know y'all have done endurance events, distance events, and, you know, those things weigh on you for perhaps weeks or months before the event. And so you have all this stress that you might not even be aware of. I mean, perhaps you are. I mean, certainly the week of it, you're nervous, but it, it's kind of this thing in the back of your head. And then all of a sudden, like what you said, during the event, you just, you gave it everything you have, but also you're, you're jettisoning, you know, all of this ballast that you had for, for months and months. Yeah. You know? There's yeah. gotta be relief there. Yeah. Just relief that like, as much as I've enjoyed the buildup and the doing, the fact that it's over, <laughs> and like I'm not in an ER. Uh, <laughs> 
That's pretty relieving. I didn't embarrass myself, which is something that I've definitely taken into a number of events. Am I just going to embarrass myself? Uh, and if you manage to not embarrass yourself, um, which like who, who, who's even that, who cares that much that you would be embarrassed, but right, if you right. put that on yourself, uh, and then the relief of like, at least I came out the other end of my <laughs> dignity, uh, at least my self-respect even is, is a relief. So no, a hundred percent. And the, um, the other thing that I wanted to mention, so you were asking about uh, kind of about the why, and, and I, th- I think there's a lot of, there's a laundry list of whys as far as like why I, I do them and why I have continued to do them. And I won't kind of go into the laundry list, but the one of the whys is that, you know, I, I think that everybody has that um, personality characteristic that, that they want to make sure is still there. Like I, 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 I tend to want to know that I can still do those things, you know, and maybe especially as I get older, you know, I, I tend to want to know that I still have like the resolve or that I still can kind of put myself in uncomfortable situations and get myself out of them or that, that maybe even, you know, really humbly said that I still have the courage to, to sign up for those types of things. I, I think I need to know that on some level. You know? Yeah. That's, a, it, I mean, it's not for, it's a really good way to just measure yourself for your own, like, what am I made of? Yeah. Uh, everybody, I think a lot of people want to know what they are and not everybody is athletic. Some people that might be academic. Um, I do not want a PhD, but I would like to be able to ride my bike for 200 miles. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a good reason. You know, I'm curious (laughs) just to not ambush you, but like we talked about it a little and I don't know if you answered, but like Tom wants to know if he can, why? Why? I know you've done some 200-mile things, uh, yeah. and I don't think you've done any of the RMCCs, but, like, why put yourself in a situation? Yeah, uh, that was not what I thought you were going to ask me. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, I just kind of want to know, because Nick and I ride bikes together a lot, but we don't have the exact same sensibilities, um, and I can just, yeah, I can just... Yeah, I think I think the why has changed a lot personally for me over time, but I can what what you both have said really resonates um that you know, Tom the analogy that you used of, you know, the acceleration and deceleration versus like the in motion um and then the, the months of build up um and then Stephen what you said like there's been a handful of rides where at the end of it like you're you're tearing up and you're feeling that. And so I think part of it is certainly chasing that feeling. Um, I also feel like sometimes for me, it's like, how much can I bite off before I'm in, in the deep deep end? And I know that a lot of people that have ridden with me have have, uh, have given me a moniker of sometimes Nick gets the, the thousand yard stare and I'm just in this place of like, I don't know where I am. You're you in Valhalla. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and... And some other people say that I come off the couch and do these big rides too frequently and, and I don't have the consistency of Stephen or Tom. Um, but I think part of it is like by challenging myself that way, um, I find it just a, a really good um, like mentally just like processing things in a ride like that. You know, it's I feel like often even on these podcasts, I'm kind of the the quiet observer and I thought the question you were going to ask me is, Nick, what are your questions for Tom? Not flipping it on its head. What is your answer to my question? (laughs) (laughs) 
And uh, for me, I think a lot of those rides are just like mentally processing things. Like that's how I just kind of, you know, recycle everything that's been in, been in the head. And but I, I think the big events, like, yeah, I think it's part of it's like, do you have it? Can you do it? Um, I think you take you take that stuff with you into the rest of, you know, at what point does it translate to other parts of your life? And I can definitely fall back on the confidence of being able to just stick with an impossible bike ride. It, I mean, it directly translates into running a company, which is the longest uphill slog. It never ends. Like there's, it's, there's no downhills <laughs> in running. Yeah, sure. So like, but I've done some stupid things on a bike and I know that like I can, I can get through this just ethic, work ethic. Like some of those things that you get by training for something really long. Um, I mean, even in parenting, like the stamina that it takes to like get home from work and still like be able to engage at home when you spent all your matches uh, doing customer service and then your kids are like, it's go time. And you're like, I'm an endurance athlete <laughs> of another type. So like they're useful life skills uh, that have nothing to do with bikes, but they can be learned on the bike. Yeah. I, I would agree. I agree with that a hundred percent. I mean, I, I can't, I probably can't quantify all the things that, that translated into my real life. I think really in many ways I, I learned who I was, you know, through endurance athletics and, and learn, learn things about myself that I can't, I really can't quantify. But, but the other thing that's really interesting too, is that as a, as an athlete who's getting older, I found it interesting because to, to, to do the rides for so long, so to do the series for 10 years, you know, the series doesn't, I mean, it changed. There's, there's rides that are substituted, but it really doesn't change. I mean, it's kind of, it is what it is, but you know, but you change and, and I've changed and not only, not only physically, but mentally in the, the, I hope, you know, matured and grown through the series and the way that I approached the series. And, and I can look back on the way that I first approached the rides and, and it was very different than the way that I do now. Now it's more kind of a relaxed, maybe even mindfulness aspect to it. You know, I'm looking to get different things out of it. I don't care as much about what my place is, you know, and, and, and kind of where I finish in relation to other riders. I care about, you know, did I give it my best effort? Did I enjoy the experience? Did I get something out of it that was, you know, tangible that I'm going to carry with me? And, and that's kind of been rewarding to see, you know, because I've, I've kind of gauged myself based on that metric, I suppose, you know. Yeah, I think it's absolutely character building. Um, I mean, the harrowing experiences, how could they not be? Um, <laughs> but I agree that the the why is is constantly yeah. changing, like what you're getting out of it, you know, of like, I want to go fast or, uh. you know, I, I want to get that place versus I just want to go experience something with a bunch of friends and then we can all talk about it afterwards, you know, and and have that shared experience. And I, I think for sure the, the camaraderie aspect is huge. And, and as, as you guys know, you know, there, there's, you know, when you, when you ride with someone and it doesn't have to be 200 miles, but when you ride with someone, you know, you, you're learning things about their personality that are, that are true, you know, that, that, that you wouldn't know otherwise and that perhaps other people don't know about them and, and good and bad, you know, and you're sharing yourself that way. And it's really interesting to me to kind of develop those types of bonds. I mean, do, do you feel, have you noticed that? Do you feel the same way when, when you've been on rides with people? I mean, maybe distance rides with people? Yeah, you, you get that like rapport and, and you kind of, it's different than, 
hey, let's go get coffee together. And then you just talk about like your day to day life. Like you kind of, you see more of like the ticks of a person or just kind of like, you know, they're more of their like underlying character without them having to say anything more so than like, we're catching up over coffee and this is what I did last week. Right. What are you doing? I've just been really busy. <laughs> oh, me too. I've just been really busy. <laughs> I used so like, to joke that the, uh, you know, the, the the guy that used to support RIP, his name is Charlie Henderson. He passed away. He was a wonderful guy. And he, he used to, you know, man the pickup truck uh, that would stop three times during the Triple Count events. And it was in some ways similar to a, um, to a Race Across America crew in that, not that I've done that, but Charlie saw me at my lowest points like the like my abject lowest points when i was testy and you know he's asking me what i wanted and i was snappy and just uh, you know discombobulated and i'm never like that you know and so it's like you get to see part of a person <laughs> he knew me completely it's, yeah. i trusted him enough to 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 know that about me you know it's pretty great getting stuck in a blizzard with nick earlier this year um and i had never seen Nick that way and Nick had probably never seen me that way but we were up on a ridge on Georgia Pass in a blizzard a story which I hope to tell fully someday but um, what was interesting was how we both tried to keep our level head for each other and like get through it and make good decisions but then later and I think I even talked to Nick about it I was like there aren't really that many people that I think I could have gotten out of that situation well with like there aren't really that many people you meet where you can be stuck in a genuine life or death situation like i could die and it's not that improbable um and then are you gonna freak out can i lean on you can we can we do we know what needs to be done uh so that's a different way to know somebody uh in these kinds of events um yeah. And you don't want to be tethered. I mean, it's a mountain climbing. You don't want to be tethered to the wrong person in the wrong situation. Mount, real mountain climbers, the good ones, just won't climb with anyone, right? Like, you got to be clipped in together. And I think you do these certain types of cycling things and you're out there with friends and you're like, the invite list, and we've said it before, is <laughs> who can I get into a bad situation with and know that, like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be all right. It's such a beautiful metric. I mean, it really is, you yeah. know? I, I, that criteria says everything, you know? And... and in, in some of the Triple Crown rides, you know, I mean, maybe not even, you know, stuff that would verge on um, on life-threatening or anything, but I can count on numerous circumstances or, or refer to numerous circumstances when, you know, just like abjectly bonking, you know, and yeah. just having like the worst and having somebody next to me stop with me and make sure I was okay and hydrated and those types of things. And the clock's running, man. I mean, that's their time too. And, you know, to have people that will do that for you and be there with you, it really says a lot about the kind of people that are drawn to those, uh, those kind of pursuits, I I suppose, you know? Yeah. There's a, I do want to tell that Georgia past story someday, but there's definitely a mutual trust there. I'm just going to put on an SOS. (laughs) People please stop buying bikes for like two weeks because I, I have the footage. I just, I can't edit the film because my days are too full. So please, no more donkeys uh, for two weeks. All right. Just just for for the record, I heard about the Georgia Pass thing almost real time from the comfort of my condo drinking coffee. Okay? I just don't want to say that. So, you know, hats off to you too. I mean, I was... I think a lot of people were at home in a very warm house Judging us. <laughs> Judging us for going over that mountain Just, pass in those conditions. You know, you guys have done that. Uh, 
Yeah, I've done that a lot where I've been just kind of hanging around the house, looking at my computer, drinking coffee, and all of a sudden, y'all will put up some insane ride over some mountain pass or either going back and forth to Nebraska, you know, those types <laughs> of things, like in the middle of February. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. So let's just say uh, I'm impressed with that stuff. Oh, maybe do it. You know? So I wanted to pull together um, some of the threads that um, you've you've been talking about, which is, you know, and, and also kind of starting to to talk about the, I don't know if it's like the 800 pound grill in the room, but um, Tom, you've talked about like getting older and wanting to, to still like be able to do these events and like see like, and sometimes you're signing up and you're like, can I still do this? Um, clearly yes. Clearly yes. But I think this year, you know, you had a really big scare, um, you know, that, that you didn't see coming and, and I think part of what's interesting about it is that sometimes sometimes as an athlete, like we compartmentalize so many things that we don't even want to notice when something's off or like that we're just not ticking correctly. And sometimes it takes like a a more objective, you know, mutual trust of, of a friend that does these rides with you to say, hey, like, I don't think something's right here. Um, and so I feel like, I don't know, like, I feel like talking about that, like what happened and then also why are we still talking about that? I know that you've already shared this experience on another podcast. You've already written an article that we can link um, on on the journal post of this. But I think kind of what has happened afterwards of like connecting with so many people around the country about this and, and kind of creating like a a data bank of, hey, this might be out there and, and you should look for these things or... I had this similar experience. Well, I, tell I, us, tell us about, <laughs> tell us about Steamboat, Tom. So, let me, so, so I should back up and I should tell the story for for the folks that that haven't heard the story. Um, all right. So I was, this was going to be or ended up being the tenth year I was doing the Triple Crown, and so I started training in January uh, really hard, and I got in really good shape, and probably. You know, some of the better shape I've been in in years, you know, because it was important to me because it was the 10th year and it was my goal and I didn't want anything left to chance. And so I said, okay, I'm going to hit it this year. You know, I want to be able to do the events. And also because the Triple Crown this year was because of COVID, it was unsupported. And so you, 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 know, you either picked a friend and did them with them or in my case, you, you did it solo. And so I was going to do three, you know, 200 mile rides by myself. And so I knew that was going to be challenging, and, and so I knew that I needed to be in really good shape, and I, and I was. And so I did, um, I put a schedule together to do them all in the early part of the summer, uh, starting in maybe early June, and I did three of them within five weeks. And they went okay. I mean, it, you know, I didn't, it wasn't, you know, I didn't. Um, make any headlines or anything, and, I, and but but I, I I got them completed and I felt okay about it. Now the middle one was one out of Grand Junction and it was crazy crazy hot. It was 108 degrees in some of the canyons out there. Wow. Yeah, and I, and I had what I consider to be like I don't know, like probably like the worst dehydration event that I think I've experienced because it was just that like radiant heat and, and you couldn't escape it. And you know I had a Camelback, but it was getting I was using it pretty quickly and out there by yourself, all these types of things. And so, um, so anyway, that one really sat me 
and so I took two weeks after that one and did the, did the last one. So I did all three. And, you know, I like to do group rides, as you all know. And so when I came back from the last one of these things, I think I might have taken like, I don't know, a week and a half to recover or something, which was pretty normal for me. And I was starting to jump back into some of the fast group rides like PHP, you know. And, um, and I wasn't really expecting to do all that great when I jumped into PHP because I was recovering and I know, I know how that is. And, so, and that was true. You know, and so I was kind of struggling and getting back into PHP and all this kind of stuff. And, and as the week started going on or as the summer started going on, I guess the second half of the summer, I started noticing that, you know, my level of performance really wasn't what it used to be. And, and, and it was indicative to me, like I, I was getting out of breath when I wouldn't get out of breath before. Like if the Peloton would sprint and then it would slow down, I'd stay out of breath instead of being able to recover. And then there's like little hills on PHP, you know, and I was, I was getting dropped on the little hills. And I was like, this is weird. Okay. And so I started rationalizing everything, right? And I was like, okay, you know, maybe I'm not recovering as well as I used to, or maybe it's all the smoke in the air. And then there was also this other dynamic, which is like, you know, I'm, I'm stepping back on a moving merry-go-round, like, you know, because so the, the PHP has been going on while I've been doing these endurance events. And so I said, well, maybe like they're all just really fast right now and I'm not really fast anymore or, or yet, you know, so all these things are going to go into my head and it wasn't until like September, early September that I, that I at least started like talking to people and I would say like, you know, I'm, I'm, I just don't feel, I just don't have the mojo right now. Like I don't feel like I do. And, and, and people were kind of echoing the reasons that I had given the, you know, the, the, you know, recovering time. And also I was a little bit heavier this year too. So they were saying, you know, maybe that's I it. noticed that. <laughs> I did. And all the selfies that you post. I just didn't know what to say. Dang, yeah, well, ne- next time just say something. Okay. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, the, and the other thing that I will say is that, and this is, this is all hindsight, right? So I'm going to get to the meat in a minute. But in addition to the performance thing, I was noticing that my motivation level wasn't really what it used to be. And so like instead of riding all day on the weekends, I, w- I was riding half a day. Or like even when I would get to the start of PHP, which is like eight miles for me, people were like, you know, hey, how you doing? And I would normally be doing that. I'd normally say, hey, great. This, I'm ready to go. Let's go. You know, I'd be having fun. It's, this is what I like to do. But I'd, be, I'd say like, you know, I'm okay. I think I'm okay. And, and it was like mentally there was this kind of like um, I, was, I was down, and so anyway, so that that right. took. I'm sorry. Quick interjection yeah, here. Please. It, what stands out to me is is there's something relatable in that if if you're a big time cyclist, then it's inevitably part of your identity of who you are. And if you're fast, it's inevitably part of the identity of who you are. Something you probably take pride in, even if you don't talk a lot about it to other people or boast. You like being strong and capable. So to admit that you don't feel well. Uh, or or to acknowledge, it's much easier to deny that you don't feel well because like it, it kind of it, it shakes you on an identity level of like, what if I'm not fast? Well, maybe I'll admit that next week. Yeah. I'm probably just tired. Yeah. Uh, but I've always kind of been like one of the hitters, but now I'm not. So I don't know. I could see it being something that I wouldn't want to admit to myself, like ever. 
because I want to be who I want to be. And I want to like, I, you know, I've worked hard to, you know, whatever, be able to ride my bike, you know? And then, so it, it just, it strikes me as something that, that I, and I wonder if there's some relatability to people who, who their identity is. I'm an endurance cyclist. I'm not just someone who rides bikes. I do big things. I do uh, endurance things. Uh, it's a different tier um, where I ride, you know, quicker than most people. And then all of a sudden you, it is funny that you started saying um, I'm okay because I know personally that when I finally say I'm okay, I already know I'm not okay. Right. But it's right. the next social tier of admitting that you're not okay. Absolutely. Because normally it's like, I'm good. And then sometimes if I'm not good, I'll be like, I'm all right. You know, but that's when I'm like, oh, everything is horrible. Yeah. You know, so it's like this slippery slope of like being truthful with yourself about how you really feel. I, I think that's spot on, you know, and, and I think, you know, that like looking back in hindsight at what at what happened now that I have all the information, you know, it, it's as it's as clear as day, right? But I but I do think, okay, so so when you're getting back data, all right, so we're always, you know, we're exerting ourselves, we're we're you know, putting out effort, and you're getting back. Um, all this data all the time, and it's a constant stream of data. Uh, stuff that's, you know, trackable and stuff that's not, you know, emotional data that you're getting back, right? And so, you know, normally, right, you think you could look at that data and understand when you're not performing, and this is what the data is saying, and it seems like it's empirical. But really, you're looking at the data through a, it's like a, a glass of water that has food coloring in it or something, and the food coloring is like, your ego and your identity and all these different emotions that you have about like what you are, your insecurities and, and you're not sometimes seeing it as accurately as it's presenting itself because you can't, yeah. you know? And so that's to your point. And that was happening to me. Like, you know, you almost have to like detach yourself for a minute and have an honest conversation with yourself and say, okay, does this make sense? You know, is, is this like a funhouse mirror? Like, if, and what I'm getting back is, is, is it makes sense in the context of who I am just as, a, um, as an athlete. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's been something that's um, been, been revelatory to me. Let's just put it that way. The, um, so anyway, so, so back, to the, um, back to what was going on. So, was, you know, mid, early September, I was kind of starting to say a few things and, you know, I had kind of like an inkling something might be going on and, and what I thought might be going on in the back of my head was something that I really never wanted to admit to myself, which was that there was a possibility that I had damaged my heart. And, you know, and a lot of endurance athletes have cardio issues and I know a lot of them, you know, and so I was... I guess I didn't want to think about that, you know, because it would be so devastating to me if and when it happens, you know, I, I, I put that kind of on the back burner. I said, okay, it's not that. It's, it's something else, you know. And so fast forward to mid to late September, I had a five-day cycling vacation set up in Steamboat Springs with Mark Lowe. And Mark is the guy that started the Triple Crown in 2011, and he was a mentor to me in the endurance world. So Mark is a guy that I respect infinitely. He's a guy that I listen to. He's like a big brother to me, you know, and, he, and he's also a PA at Denver Health. So he's in the medical field. 
And and Mark also hadn't seen me. I, I don't even know. I, I try to think back when last time I rode with Mark, but it might not have even been this year. Hmm. And so his, you know, his, um, he had no context of how I was riding recently. He had no context of any kind of recent performance issues that I was having. Everything was fresh. And so we get to Steamboat, and on the first day, we were going to do a 70-mile ride, and it was kind of like a warm-up, right? He had a, we had, I let him design the rides, which was like a terrible idea, by the way. If you, if you go on vacation with Mark, don't let him design all the rides. Okay, so they're all like, I don't know, 100 miles, and some of them had like six or seven miles of hike a bike. I was like, oh, yeah. Okay, oh, wow. Here we go. And uh, I was on my trail donkey, by the way, which, which is wonderful. I have to get that in there. And, thank um, you for that, and I'll be writing you a check. Thank right you so there. much. Nobody <laughs> paid me to say that, but um, but uh, anyway, we did uh, we did our first day at seventy miles, and I told Mark before the ride. I said, you know, I'm not quite myself right now. I don't know what's going on. He's got no. He said, no big deal. You know, we're just going to take it easy. And I said, okay. And so the first part of the seventy mile ride went really well. Or, or I, I should say, okay. And then on the second half of the ride, I started kind of falling apart and getting really out of breath on the little hills. It was rollers, and my heart rate was running higher than normal, and Mark kept looking at me like sideways, right? And then towards the end of the ride, he said, something's wrong with you. We need to go to the ER. That's a big statement. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Because if I called the ER, and no offense, but every time Nick gets the thousand yard stare, <laughs> they would just not let you into ERs anymore. They'd be like, "You've cried wolf too many times." But like now I know. I didn't. Stephen would have. Now I know that like Nick's thousand yard stare isn't a critical situation. It's just a natural phase of the moon. Um, like, like he's going to get there in the ride, and then he will come out the other side of it. But Mark was like you're not as fast as you normally are, so I'm going to take you to the doc. You know, like, that's pretty big. I, I would have never have made that call myself. And, and just and nor the, would I. Yeah. Like, yeah. I can't, I mean, you'd have to be on the ground. I hate to say that yeah. out loud. Oh, yeah. for, for, for me to be like, I'm going, I guess I should call the doctor. And, and just for the record, I mean, there, there's, there's, I mean, literally, I say this literally, there, there is literally no one else in the world that I would have listened to. Wow. Anyone else could have said, let's go to the ER. And it was towards the end of the day. It was like 4 p.m. It was the first day of vacation. We drove in from Denver that morning, ridden 70 miles. I was tired. I wanted something to eat. I'm like, ER? Are you kidding me? What language are you What speaking? restaurant is that? Exactly. <laughs> is it Chinese food? Or- <laughs> yeah. You know? And so uh, I, think I, I think I tried to dissuade him. Like, like. You know, when Mark makes up his mind, I mean, that's, that's just all there is to it. And so I was, I was having a difficult time dissuading him, even though I was trying valiantly. And so finally I said, okay, let's go. And I, and I think that in the back of my head, I had the cardio thing in, in the back of my head. Were you relieved at all to finally like have somebody call you out and just be like, we're going to sort through this? Like, is that, at, it's like, at, well, I didn't give up. It's somebody else told me I needed to. So I'm just, you know, you know, like, I don't know. I feel like in a way, just being able to go without it being like an ego thing might be okay, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I think the sensation that I had was, I, I think I was more panicked internally about the heart thing Yeah, more than anything. And, and, and I think I was like, uh-oh. And, and I, I automatically went into, th- this is it. You know, this is the end of my endurance. I mean, you know, and I started having those things because I, I felt like I'd been like sussed out. 
Yeah. You know, and I had been obfuscating everything. Mm-hmm. Is that a word? Obfuscating. It's impressive. I don't know. Can we, on the, just for the record, I use that word. In the Tom, podcast. Tom, you're like you're like a thesaurus right now. <laughs> just the, you're, you know, I'm trying. I'm just. I'm looking at my phone. I have words that I, that I plan to use <laughs> off my phone. I'm, I've already used like eight out of the ten. Uh, so anyway, so went got a bite to eat. Went to the ER, and this is where like the whole thing starts to get really important. Weird. At priorities, like because when I'm going to the ER. <laughs> I hit the drive-through. I, I think, as, as a matter of fact, I think that's, that's like the one, you know, the one thing I was able to influence in the whole afternoon was like going and getting something to eat. I think that was my <laughs> only contribution to the afternoon. And um, okay, so it starts to get weird, and 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 I guess the I, I don't know if weird is the right word, but you know, you start to think about um, occurrences that happen that are kind of defy any kind of happenstance, right? And so, and so anyway, the first was that I was with Mark and that he was a PA and that he noticed that something was wrong with me. And then the other thing was that we went to the hospital or went to the ER and the doc said, you know, hey, do you want your friend to come back with you? And I said, yeah, because you know, he's, he's a PA. And the ER doc, um, he was thinking cardio too, and so the panel of tests that he ordered were all geared towards diagnosing problems with my heart. And Mark, who was sitting right next to me, said, also test him for D-dimer, which is a test that they give to people who might have blood clots. So the ER doc was not thinking that. His staff wasn't thinking that. And I wasn't thinking that, but Mark was. And so they went and they did the test and they came back. I said, your heart's good. Great. Pause. Sorry. Were you like stoked at that? But were you like, oh, okay? I was not only stoked, but I looked at Mark and I said, "I'm never coming on vacation with you again." Oh man! <laughs> I promise you. I said that. I said, "I nothing is wrong with me." You know, my heart is good, and but I was stoked, and not like a a weight was lifted off my shoulders. You know, and but like ten minutes later or something, they came back and they said your D dimer was elevated. And there's a possibility that you have blood clots. And so all of a sudden... Is this like a blood test where they don't know where they would be? Just yeah, somewhere in your body absolutely. there could be clots? Absolutely. Okay. And, and so I don't know a lot about it, but I do know it's called D-dimer. And it's indicative of one, maybe many things, but one of the things is having blood clots. And so immediately the situation got extremely serious. And they had a CT scan there. And so they gave me a CT scan. And... They sent the, because this was Steamboat, there was nobody on call to read the scan. And so they had to send it to Denver and it took some time. Did Peter read it? I Peter read it afterwards. Oh, interesting. Way. Peter is our good a, friend who yeah. reads scans. He's the rodeo me. doctor. Yeah. He's our, the, 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 yeah, the facto doctor of rodeo. But uh, it took a while for them to kind of diagnose what was going on. I was waiting and getting very anxious, and then they came in and they said, you have a bilateral pulmonary embolism, so you have blood clots in both of your lungs. That yeah, can't have been a good sentence to process. Yeah, and so it really, and all of a sudden, like if it wasn't serious before the D-dimer thing, it got really serious after they found out that the clots were in my lungs, and so... All of a sudden, everything just got uh, super heightened. I was put on like super heavy doses of heparin, which is a blood thinner, and it helps kind of break up the clots a little bit. And then they were making arrangements to like, transfer me to the hospital and all these types of things. And so 
uh, where I did spend the night. Did you make any eye contact with Mark at this point? <laughs> You're like, I was like, thank you, so much. I'm so sorry for what I said about the heart thing, and just keep saving my life, please. You know, and, um, and I think at this time it was like it was like one or one one in the morning or two know. in the morning. He, he woke up the next day and did like a 90 mile ride. By of course the way. he did. Yeah, yeah. But anyway. Uh, but I spent the night in the hospital, and, and they found um, what they do is they, they ultrasound your legs because a lot of times if you have clots in your lungs, they come from your legs, and it's called a DVT, which is deep vein thrombosis, and you'll have a clot in one of the veins or several of the veins in your legs, and it'll transmit, break off, and go to your lungs. And so I don't know what the mortality rate is. I mean, I've heard, like the doctor said, I mean, this sounds dramatic, but he said that, you know, a lot of times we find out people have PEs when they, when they show up dead. You know, it, some, Because that's not sobering at all. Uh, tell me. It's like when somebody tells you that, you know, it's like, oh, good Lord, you know. Do you think that this is the reason your life is because you have extra lung? Like you just have so much lung that you were able to lose a significant portion of it and still function. And still <laughs> drop the hammer at PHP. <laughs> like, I mean, like what in the world? You have blood clots in both uh, of your lungs. Uh, I, that, would, that would be one of those things where you're like, that just hit me, and now it's hitting me again. Yeah, yeah. Now it's hitting me again. It's like, wait a minute, man, I'm mortal, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm prone to serious stuff happening. By the way, I have to tell you a, a funny story. So when I was... I was a little shaken up when I first got to the ER and I didn't know what was going on. And I was trying to explain to the doctor, you know, what was happening. And I told him, I was saying, you know, I, I just rode 70 miles and I feel like I've been run over by a truck. And I just, I was met with a blank stare. You know, it's just like, what? <laughs> I was like, no, 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 this isn't supposed to, like, this is That's not. <laughs> it's not even a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Let me rephrase that. <laughs> Let me rephrase I'm that. kind of a big deal on Strava. <laughs> yeah, can I show you my Strava? Can we look our, you know, see, Nick, if you, were, if you were to pull my Strava, then it could have been helpful. I yeah. could have referred to... Look at to, all these kudai. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you can call multiple kudos? Mm. <laughs> but anyway, long story short was that I, was that I did have clots behind my knee that, oh, okay. that transmitted to my lungs. One so, leg or both? Uh, just one. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I don't think I've ever really heard like where they came from. Yeah. I told you I didn't listen to the other podcast out of jealousy, right? Like, I was like, because we want to talk to Tom. <laughs> and I can't, I'm not okay with it. We get, we're like, with the second in line. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that's where they come from, came from. And, and it's real common, like most people will have them, or when they do have them, they'll have them in their calf, usually. Not, I don't know if usually, but a lot of times their calf will swell up to be the size of a football or something like that. Like nothing's swollen in my leg. Like I, my leg looked normal. Like the only. Well, I would, your legs are always swole. <laughs> <And> therefore, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but there's no, there's not a lot of case history for like this probably happening to really fit people. Uh, it's probably a lot more case history for the sort of typical or maybe even people who have other conditions. I don't know. Yeah, I'm no, just no, guessing. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Like as a matter of fact, like as an athlete, like I'm atypical, right? I'm the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. So normally it's it's um, people that are um, bedridden or have other serious health issues, you know, and there can be some cancers that can cause it. There can be a genetic predisposition that can cause it, but it's usually not athletes. Now, now I will say that it's not terrifically uncommon. I mean, there are, especially, you know, perhaps endurance athletes. I'll say, but also. 
you know, I mean, Serena Williams had blood clots. I mean, there have mm. been high-level performing athletes. There have been triathletes that have, you know, competed in some foreign country and flown for 12 hours or something like that and that have got them as a result of being dehydrated, being immobile on a plane, you know, and those types of things. But the, good the to know. Yeah, you know, the weird thing is is how serious, like, you know, that that something like that can manifest itself into something that's extremely uh, life-threatening, you know. So you're in SEMBO. Did you get flown back to Denver? No, they kept me in the hospital overnight, and my oxygen levels kind of, I won't say stabilized, but they they returned. I mean, they were at a level where they could let me go home. They they weren't worried about me dying or, or passing out or anything like that. And so... You know, they just watched me overnight. And luckily, my clots were caught before they had manifested it themselves into something that would, could have been or that would have been far more severe. Mm. And so there's there's occurrences, you know, that people will have what's called a saddle embolism where it can restrict oxygen and take over a large part of your lung. And so they're hospitalized for you know, up to a month and people have part of their lungs removed, all, all kind of stuff goes on. Wow. So mine were caught really, really early, even though I think they were, I think I was noticing it like throughout the second half of the summer, you know? Wow. Yeah. So that's early. Yeah. Months. So do you think, you don't know, but do you think that day of severe dehydration may have been a contributing factor? Yeah, I personally do. So, so, I, I would say that I'm almost alone. Like like when I talk to doctors, you know, th- th- they tend to want to point to um, maybe a genetic predisposition, which I'm being tested for now. It's, it's coming back negative, you know, so far. And then also there were some there's some cancers that can lead to it. And so the doctors are typically pointing to those types of things. But also it's this weird situation where I – and I'm not trying to be um, casual about it, but I mean or, – or, or glib about it. But, but – when I talk to doctors about some of the events that I do, they don't understand. And they say, well, bike riding normally doesn't lead to blood clots. And I'm like, well, I'm not talking about bike riding. I'm talking about endurance. I'm talking about 17 hours or whatever it is and 108 degrees. And it's sometimes hard to contextualize what you're doing. And so that's what I think. That that's unhealthy behavior. No, right. <laughs> <laughs> it may contribute to clotting. Yeah. 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 Because you're an outlier. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's not a you're not a normal human being. Um, they're not for a variety of reasons. For a variety of reasons, yeah, exactly. mostly due to bikes. <laughs> uh, so that I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm I'm curious to hear more about like what, what does it look like to recover from that? Yeah. So what what it what it looks like to recover is that um is, is that you stay on blood thinners for six months. It's a normal protocol. Are you doping? And uh, <laughs> unfortunately, they're not helping my performance. That's I'm, I'm sad to say. The, uh, and then what happens is the clots will dissolve like a bruise dissolves mm-hmm. over time. And so what you have to do is just monitor your blood oxygen levels, you know, with one of those little finger deals. And, you know, normal is like 95% and above. And, and mine are, so I'm several months out now, and mine are back to reading normal most of the time. But I could ride, you know, I could get out and ride earlier. The doctors didn't have any type of like hard and fast stop on me. They just said, do what feels normal. And and there was more of a concern about riding on blood thinners than anything. But there's a lot of people that ride on blood thinners. And so it's like crashing and yeah, yeah. crashing and bleeding out and those types of things. Yeah. But, um, but you know, 
one of the real reasons, I guess the real reason that I wanted to come on, come on the podcast was to, to share the story with folks because, you know, it's one of those things that just blew right by me. I mean, I, I didn't notice it at all. And I was one of those people. I thought like I'd, I was in touch with my body. I thought I knew all the metrics, all these types of things. And man, I just, you know, it, it escaped me totally. Like had I, had I not been stopped in my tracks by a friend, I would not have caught this. And I would have, I mean, months and months and months and months down the road, I would have had to start coughing up blood and passing out and those types of things in order to do something. So nothing performance related was ringing the bell with me, Mm. and which is really a disconcerting thought, you know, when you think about that and you say, wait a minute, you know, I, you know, this is my passion. This is what I do. And I know this probably better than I know anything else. And yet I was just like mowing past like every warning signal. And, and if I can do that, that's a scary thing. And so it's made me kind of step back and say, wait a minute, like, what is, what is the takeaway? And, and the takeaway is, is, and you alluded to it earlier and, and really hit it on the head, is that, you know, you need to be honest with yourself and you need to make sure that the feedback that you're getting makes sense. And if it doesn't make sense, then stop and take action. And, and there can be no limit to that action. You can, I mean, go to the emergency room if you need to go to the emergency room and, and, and get yourself checked out. And that's a really hard thing for athletes to do. I don't get my eyes checked, full disclosure. They were blurry all summer and I was in denial. Yeah. Like, I, I think maybe athletes are conditioned to stuff down the very signals that our body's giving us. 100%. Like, you can't be like, well, I'm tired. I guess I better go home. You're like, no, I'm tired, and I'm a person who finishes what I started, so I'm going to keep going. 100%. Or, you know, like all these things. This hurts. Therefore, it's bad. No, this hurts always. Yeah. Uh, that's just part of the price yeah. of admissions. So, but, you know, like, these are the signals. Yeah. But, I mean, you did have something. You knew something was off, but yeah. you just weren't conditioned to be that sensitive to it. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and perhaps conditioned to to maybe ignore it. And and that's a really good point. It was almost like as athletes we're almost funneled into this type of thing. Like we're almost, you know, at risk by nature of what we're taught to ignore. And in what we, what we're taught to, you know, and and so I mean, this is like captain obvious stuff, but <clears throat> you know, I was watching a podcast the other day and a guy was talking about um, how to push past your boundaries. And he was saying that, you know, when you get shocked, you know, and you shoot you five feet across the room, you know, the, it's not the electricity doing that. It's your muscles that are doing that. Hmm. And, the, and the reason that, that, you're not, that you're not doing that regularly is because you're, you have these built-in governors, you know, and, and it's, you know, it's to prevent injury. And it's things that are encoded in your DNA, right? And, and, so, and so as athletes that are pushing the limits, what we're doing is just ever so slightly pushing that limit kind of as we're training. And we're learning that we can. And, and we're using all these mechanisms to kind of like ignore warning signs that we think might be kind of bogus anyway, that they're, they're okay, well, that doesn't make any sense. Let's just push, 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 because I can. Well, what happens is, is that that runs you into traps. 
you know, because the warning sign can be a real warning sign, but you're just pushing past him anyway. And so it's extremely difficult to say, wait a minute, like, is this a real, is this real or is this not, is this something I need to worry about? Yeah. So that's, it, I mean, I don't know the answer. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if you gave me the same situation, like, you know, I, th- I hope I don't go through this again, but it, I'm not sure I've really trained myself to recognize it anymore. I mean, I think I'm more cognizant of like the feedback that I'm getting, but I, I could see myself making the same mistake again. Mm. You know, I would think that you wouldn't. I hope not. I don't think, I don't think that you would. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think that you're, Hey, if I feel slow, I'm blaming it on my lungs and I'm going to the ER. <laughs> like it's definitely not under training. It's definitely not me being out of shape. You know what was funny it was like one of the first, like, uh, you know, and, and you hit it on the head when you, when you say like, okay, so, so, so I don't have, I hope I don't have ego, but I'm certainly competitive and I like to compete and I like to do well, you know? Yeah. And one of the first thoughts I had after I had all these, uh, you know, this diagnosis, I was like, okay, everybody that dropped me over the last two months doesn't, doesn't count. Okay. <laughs> Just for the record. That, okay. I'd like to issue a press release. This, this press release, disqualification. All right. Did you I, post this to the the PHP thread you, on Strava? You beat a version of myself. You didn't beat the real thing. So fact, I probably still beat you, and I was mortally wounded. Uh, <laughs> Tis but a scratch. Attention cyclists who've been living in a fool's paradise for the last two months. Tom I, Miller, in fact, is crushing you. I, oh, man. I was operating on 70% lung capacity. Think of how many people were feeling good about themselves, and then they found out that you were wounded. Yeah, it's like, you know, I hate to, hate, hate to break it to them, you know? Tough pill. 2020. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I mean, when I saw the... <laughs> what next? Uh, I saw the picture of you in, in the hospital bed, and I just thought you crashed. Uh, and then, you know, you read into it, and it's pretty, pretty, like, you know, you remember the moment of, like, what in the world, what's going on with Tom? Uh, so that was scary for the extended family. Um, I mean, we definitely all owe Mark a massive thank you for, I mean, man, he's going to have that. You know, like, what's the movie... Um, where the guy just keeps talking about his wound and pointing it at the, oh, it's a wonderful <laughs> life. Uh, not, not as watched movies as it used to be, but the whole movie the guy's talking about is war wound where he saved the other guy. No, it's White Christmas. <laughs> anyway, uh, like Mark's always going to be like, remember that time I saved your life? Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm just hoping that like if I ride with him long enough, I, I, maybe I can, I can save his life. He'll be even. Like, you know, like <laughs> it, you know, 20 in years meantime, from now, I'll be like, okay, but, you know, get him in enough tricky situations where his life is risked. Yeah. You know, but meantime, but, you're getting dinner. And gas, uh, in perpetuity. Yeah. And, and you know, it's almost like, um, I mean, like I can't, I can't convey the debt that I have to, to Mark and, and I, I tell him that all the time. And because he works at, at Denver health, you know, his response is, you know, Hey, that's what I do. And I'm like, no, 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 you saved my life. You know, like, yeah. I, but, yeah. but, but he's, he's just such a wonderful person that, um, it's easy to heap that praise on him. Let's just put it that way. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, I, this is totally off the rails, left field sort of question, but like, I feel like you stopped yourself and you were like, this is where it gets weird. Like, is this just like on uh, how I built this a podcast? They're like, what percentage of this was luck and what was hard? You know, and then people get all philosophical about like, eh, some luck, but mo- you know, hard work. And other people are like, it had to be all luck. And like, is this just like, wow, you got cosmically lucky or are you like profoundly like, wow that doesn't even make sense that those 
well, know, things come together. So sorry if that's too much of a question. No, no, no. And, I would ask myself that question. The, the, uh, okay, so before I answer it, let me let me let me preface my answer by saying that it, that that those weren't all the unusual circumstances that happened. There was the week the weekend before that I was set up to go on a three day backpacking trip in Indian Peaks at elevation, uh, twelve thousand feet, with a couple of friends. And two days before the trip, we had a freak snowstorm kind of in like a series of 90-degree days, and it canceled the trip, right? And so I was unable to go. So that happened, and then this happened. And so, um, I mean, mean, the reality is, is... it's made me think about a lot of things. It's actually changed the, made, made me think about um, divine intervention in my relationship with God and, and how I relate to those things. I mean, it, it, it really has impacted me in a profoundly significant way. I mean, for sure. I, I don't think it's happenstance. I don't think it was lucky. You know, I mean, I, I think there was something at work there that I can't quite put my finger on, but that, that saved my life multiple times. And I think what's interesting is that a lot of people stand to benefit from it too. Um, I, I mean, hope like, so. Like a lot of people can be put on guard by look out for yourself, look out for your friends. Uh, we're not bionic, invincible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, we're like fragile. So look out for each other. Um, that's just a healthy, a healthy thing that comes out of, of what you experienced. That's that's what I hope, and, and I hope people are able to take from this. You know, something to use in, in just like that, you know, in, in their everyday lives and, and with their, how they interact with their friends, you know. And, um, you know, and, and I was, um, you know, ego aside, man, I mean, there was times I thought of myself as a machine, you know. I thought, like, I could just flip the, flip the switch and go and then done and all those types of things. And, and yeah, if it can... It sure stopped me in my tracks and made me think about things. Let's put it that way, you know. And it put everything else in context. Like it put this sport in context. It put this pursuit in context. All those types of things. And so, like overall, though, I mean, I really do feel just so grateful about the way that everything played out, and and the fact you know where I am now, and I'm in a real healthy place mentally, and I'm, I'm I just feel good about everything. I feel like I'm. You know, I, I survived a very scary thing that, that could have knocked me off the rails but didn't. And, and my hope is that I continue, you know, to do um, the types of stuff I've done in the past. I don't, know that I'll, I don't know that I'll do it as frequently. I might kind of rethink the maybe way. Maybe not that 108 I, degrees. Maybe not 108 degrees. <laughs> yeah, there. you know, and maybe not three of them in five weeks. And, you know, I might... I might try to approach it with more balance. <laughs> in the I future. like how that's a might. <laughs> <laughs> you might not. I might never. <laughs> Tom's stubborn, though. I think yeah, we established yeah. that. Uh, yeah, that's a prerequisite. But um, but I, you know, I mean, it, it was a it was a heavy thing that happened. Um, I, I hope I'm not being too heavy because I really do feel really grateful about the way things played out and and um you know i'm on a good i'm in a good place right now you know and and i do hope that people take it and kind of use something you know i hope i'm not cracking too many jokes to make light of it (laughs) uh but i mean i'm you're here now uh and you're in a good spot but like months ago i couldn't have done that um but like it's it's almost like a a therapeutic relief to be able to say wow (laughs) all right absolutely Uh, okay 
stop at the drive-thru. Um, but like at the time you're just like horrified. And, uh, so I yeah. mean, I'm glad we're at the point where you can smile a little and yeah, yeah. take stock. So. You bet. Yeah. yeah. I think it just illustrates the, the beauty of the, of the sport. You know, it's not, it's not just about your, your individual pursuit or performance, but it can be that you're creating meaningful relationships with the people around you and they can look out for you and you should look out for them. Mm. And that's a big takeaway. That's like, for me, what I love about riding bikes is I like riding a bike, but I like all the people I've met yeah. and the friendships I've created and they're going to take care of me and I can take care of them. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I hope we get to do a 200 mile ride with you soon ish as in spring or something. Uh, me too. We were thinking about trying to do festive 500 in a day, so I'm not sure if you're into that. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> only 300 miles. You know what? You know what is funny is that when people know that you like to do distance stuff, you'll get these random calls like the day before the weekend. You know, they'll be like, "Hey, <laughs> we're gonna go do you know insert like you know outrageous mileage in you know <laughs> this and this and it's like, no, 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 I don't. I don't even like bikes. I have to. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I, wrong number. Prank call. Lose my I, number. <laughs> <laughs> But no, yeah. I'd love to do a long ride with y'all. That'd be super fun. And cool. Just uh, go slow enough for me to hang around. Let's just put it that way. All right. If you're going slow, I'm taking you to the doctor. Uh, <laughs> okay, you, well, you never must mind. now remain in shape in perpetuity. <laughs> so. Uh, cool. Well, right. Tom, thank you for sharing your story and, and coming on. And I don't know, It's it's been... I, I don't know. I think it's been incredible to hear it firsthand, to, to have seen it and and that you're here and we can make light of it so thank you no thank you it's it's been a wonderful experience for me and you guys are like family so it's been uh, you know wonderful to be able to share and and i hope some of the some of the folks out there get something out of it you know yeah well i when we were starting this podcast i really did think that it was going to be like one by or two by drivetrain and like i don't know what do we think of that new shifter and all that and I hope we get there at some point and like get nerdy, but I've had way more fun talking to people about, you know, who they are and what they're up to. Um, so maybe selfish, but, uh, yeah, definitely a highlight. Just being able to talk with you about this. Yeah. Awesome. I think the human, the human story is more relatable than, than a diagram of, of a one by 12 shifter. Yeah. But I will go there. (laughs) I will go there. I'm willing. Uh, All right. Well, cool. Thanks again. Yeah, I think uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ride a little slower on the way home and listen to my heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully I didn't just abjectly terrify everyone. But, uh, <laughs> well, is no. there anywhere people can like read about? Um, you know, like I mean, we'll embed it in the in the, in the podcast link. But like, where are you getting your information? Or you know, are there any things that we should point people at? Or is it? It's pretty. Well, there's a lot of information on the web, but but what I what I would I'm glad you said that because you know what I would encourage is like if you know if anybody has had similar experiences that they you know people can reach out to me personally and that's fine you know I'm I'm happy to talk to people about my experience and one on one and if they you know everyone's experience is a little bit different and there's um uh, not to ramble but there's a large category of these things that goes unprovoked and so they don't ever know. 
And so a lot of people are kind of scratching their head out there and there's athletes out there saying, wait a minute, this happened to me and I don't know why it was. And so if anybody would benefit from kind of talking to me and say, hey, wait a minute, I did a big ride and I was dehydrated and da, da, da. I mean, I, I welcome all that type of engagement because it helps me too, you know. Cool. They can find you. Uh, let's see. Uh, we'll link your Instagram. They can yeah. send you a direct message. Yeah, that'd be fine. Yeah. Link my Strava or something if yeah. you want to. And- Right, is your because your Strava is like need more kudos. Bionic Goliath two thousand, you know, which <laughs> you know, your Strava. Un- and unfortunately, I had my parents weren't very creative, so I, you know, I would I would imagine I'm not the only Tom Miller on Strava. So <laughs> the one with twelve thousand miles this year. Well, there you go. There I you guess go. That's how to find. Start, if you run some analytics on me, you can you can uh, find me. Denver, there. Colorado. That's where we're at. So cool. cool. All right. Well, thanks for thanks for listening. That's a wrap. Episode nine. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, guys. This was great.